Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. Well, new facial recognition software is being rolled out in New World and Pack and Save supermarkets across the North Island from today. Up to 25 stores will be part of a six-month trial. Foodstuff says the trial is in response to retail crime, which the company says is up 34% from the previous three months from October through to December. We are joined now by Privacy Commissioner Michael Webster to talk more about this. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Very well, thank you. You've got concerns around this uh, facial recognition software. What are they? Uh, There are two main concerns, Ingrid. The first is that uh, the use of facial recognition technology in this particular situation isn't a proven tool, which is why uh, we support uh, the trial that Foodstuffs North Island is running. Second, uh, we're concerned that FRT itself as a technology Um, is open to um, having some issues, particularly around accuracy and bias. Tell us more about that accuracy and bias. It it relates more to people with darker skin, doesn't it? That's right. There have been evaluations uh, that have been carried out overseas and that even the most accurate uh, facial recognition technology software um, shows that false matches are more likely to happen for people of colour, particularly uh, women of colour. So that's where in this case would identify someone as a person who had, say, previously committed a violent act at a supermarket when it's not actually the case. And obviously in the New Zealand context, we're really concerned about what that means for uh, Māori, Pacifica, Indian and Asian women who are going to the local supermarket. So this trial, a six-month trial up to 25 stores being involved, what what powers do you have to oversee that trial or, or be reported back to? So I'm using my inquiry powers uh, under the Privacy Act to keep a close eye on the trial. Uh, We'll be monitoring uh, to see whether it does actually uh, result in a decline in numbers of violent incidents at supermarkets, uh, which is obviously one of the aims uh, from it. And we'll also be uh, examining uh, the assessment that is completed at the end by the independent evaluator uh, to see whether it has actually delivered uh, what was uh, um, wanted from it. And if there are, if your concerns are validated, if it doesn't work or if you have further concerns, what power do you have to stop uh, them using the technology? Well, well, as a general proposition, we're not in the business of banning technologies but ensuring that they're used in an appropriate and safe way uh, so that the use is fully justified. Uh, that's what our legislation, our Act, um, asks us to keep an eye on. And so that's why this trial is so important. Uh, we've been talking to Foodstuffs North Island to ensure the trial is well run. Uh, we'll generate the data that we all need to see. And we'll be having further discussions with them at the end about the outcome of that and seeing whether there are indeed um, other options available to them if it is the case that FRT hasn't delivered what okay, they were okay. hoping Okay, but for. Can, you, can you enforce regulation or, or do you have any teeth to, to make sure it's used appropriately? Uh, We can uh, discuss with uh, organisations, with businesses, um, other ways of deploying technology in a way that would be more uh, privacy-enhancing, less privacy-intrusive, yes. Okay. Can you force their hand on that, or are you you restricted to just making uh, recommendations? At the end of the day, uh, in our assessment, uh, we consider that the use of technology, of privacy-intrusive technology, Uh, is unlawful, Uh, we can issue a compliance notice uh, directing an organisation 
to take steps to stop using it in that particular way. And where's the cut off there in terms of what, what makes it unlawful? Uh, whether it's uh, not reasonable, whether it's not justified, uh, whether it's not meeting uh, what people regard as the appropriate threshold for um, achieving um, public good goals, that sort of thing. Okay. Just finally, I mean, these businesses are losing millions a year to, to theft and obviously having staff harassed, etc. cetera. Um, you know, do you have a sympathy with them for why this technology might be uh, appropriate? Absolutely. I mean, I understand Foodstuff's concern to protect uh, their staff and customers, and I, I want people uh, to be safe as they shop and they go to work. Uh, but that's why we need to be uh, really uh, careful to analyse the data uh, that Foodstuffs has and will capture over the trial uh, to see what sort of incidents are happening. There are the high-end incidents where there's incidents of violence against staff, which is, of course, never OK, and it's a crime uh, and it's something for the police to deal with, uh, to incidents of perhaps a verbal abuse. Uh, Foodstuffs North Island has literally, I understand, millions of customer visits every week and um, a relatively small number of incidents a week. Uh, so we need to be careful that when we look at the data, we're doing a full and thorough analysis of what actually is happening. Appreciate your time this morning. That was the uh, Privacy Commissioner, Michael Webster. We will be speaking to foodstuffs uh, before 7.30 this morning uh, to get their take on this technology. Firefighters have been working overnight to put out a huge timber fire which broke out at a rubbish and recycling plant in Onihanga yesterday. Fiends is closed to Victoria Street and crews are expected to continue working for most of today. Now the facility called Green Gorilla is the largest processor of construction and demolition waste in the country. Earlier I spoke to the chief executive of Green Gorilla, Elaine Morgan. So the fire department, as you are aware, have um, worked all night to contain it and they've done a fantastic job. So the fire hasn't spread from last night and it's just um, keeping contained and the wood is, it's only wood that's burning at the moment. All our infrastructure is uh, safe and sound. So the fire's not out though, there is still some fuel that it's burning? Yes, there is, yes. Okay, and are you worried of it flaring up and spreading or are you confident that it is contained? No, they're confident they've got it contained and from what I can see, uh, looking at the um, scene, it all looks in order and, and it's, uh, I believe what they're saying, yes. The, have you spoken to surrounding businesses? What is the plan today? So the road at the moment coming into at our end of Victoria Street from Nelson Street is currently closed and that's not because of any imminent danger to anybody, it's just because there's very bad water supply here on, along the street. And so for the fire department to um, get enough pressure and enough water, they've had to run their lines way down to the other end of Victoria Street. So those lines are coming across the road and it's, it's important that nobody drives over them. So that's the reason that the road is closed. Some businesses won't be able to open nearby? Um, that's correct. They, the fire department are sending out alerts as appropriate as soon as they can remove the uh, their hose lines from the road, the roads will be open. There may be an opportunity for people to come in on foot and, and you know, as far as office people and things, I think, later on this morning. But you'd have to refer to friends to find out more about that. Sure. In terms of um, smoke and any um, breathing issues for people nearby, what is the situation there? What are we talking about in terms of, of the smoke that people might encounter? 
Okay, so it is. It, there is no issue as far as hazardous waste or anything goes. It is purely wood that's burning, and the recommendation from Fens is that anybody who um, has smoke that the smoke is affecting that they keep their windows closed, and anybody with respiratory problems just make sure that they're feeling comfortable. And if they're not, they need to obviously move from the area. Any indication yet as to what's caused this? Um, no, we had the investigating officer here. Um, late last night we have um, managed to access our CCTV footage from the uh, from the area and he's been looking at that overnight and we'll be back first thing in the morning and we can um, move further with that investigation with him. Do you have any concerns about it in terms of security, in terms of whether it was deliberately lit or, or anything no, like that? We, no, we're, we're 99.9% sure it wasn't deliberately lit. Okay, cool. The uh, in terms of the response from Fens and the you mentioned the there's some issues with water. Was that of concern that they weren't able to get the water pressure they needed? Yes, it was of a concern. They uh, that they they arrived um, very very time in a timely manner. We had an, enough uh, appliances here to fight the fire, and um, they they didn't have adequate water um, resources. Um, be- uh, sure. There, there was there was an issue with water on the street, so I'm, I don't. You'd have to refer to them to find out exactly what. Okay, that, that must be disappointing, though. I mean, do you think that inhibited their ability to get this fire under control quickly? Yes, most definitely. So just sorry. So just to, to roll back on that, they weren't able to get the water pressure needed to tackle this fire in its early I'm, stages. I, look, I'm not sure if it's water pressure or there was not enough water supply. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. You'll have to ask them the exact reason why there was an issue with the water. Have you raised any concerns yes. specifically with them about that initial yes, response? I, yes, I have, and they said that they, they will be investigating the reasons why there wasn't sufficient water. So where does that leave you now for the rest of the day uh, in terms of how many firefighters have you got there, for example? There, were, were, there is still, I think, about six units here. And you say you were ninety nine percent sure it wasn't deliberate. What what gives you that confidence? Yeah, we've got a we've got an we've got a uh, obviously um, some some view on how it happened, uh, which we've discussed with friends, and they're just investigating that now. Can you tell us more about that? Um, no, we'll wait till their investigation is complete. All right, but you would hope that uh, this fire will be out by the end of today. I mean, you you, you need to presumably um, get that street open and and things going again. Yes, we're hopeful. We'll we'll get an update. They've updated us this morning to say that at this stage that the road needs to be closed. And as they um, as the fire diminishes, I guess that there are some some hoses that are closer to the uh, our premise that rather than way down the end of the street. So I'm assuming they would they would um, progressively um, cut off the water from the end of the street first. But as I say, you'll have to refer to Fens to find out more about that. And that is the chief executive of Green Gorilla, Elaine Morgan. There. We'll go to uh, another fire. The firefighters in the Tasman district have been battling a fire in a pine plantation which broke out yesterday afternoon. Eleven properties were evacuated in Lee Valley by police and the blaze spread to five hectares by the evening. Our reporter Samantha G is near the fire. Uh, Samantha, good morning. What's the current situation? Good morning, Corin. Yes, I am near the fire. I'm just looking up the valley at it, actually. So I can currently see helicopters working above the area, and there's kind of a big smoke plume uh, sitting in the valley. It is an overcast day, but you can actually smell the smoke as well now. You couldn't, couldn't smell it last night where I was, but you can today. And they're going to have their work cut out for them, do you think, today? 
yes, potentially we get to get an update on how much the fire has grown overnight. It was at five hectares yesterday and they were hoping with the conditions overnight, cool, not too much wind, it wouldn't have, have grown too much, but we're waiting for an update on what size it's at. Um, they had four crews of firefighters and some heavy machinery operators working through the night and I think they had urban crews protecting structures while the rural crews were sort of making fire breaks and, and uh, control lines. So it just describe Lee Valley, fairly sparsely populated, 11 properties I understand evacuated, presumably they are still out, are they? Yes, so those 11 property owners were told that as a precaution they should evacuate overnight, uh, no word yet on when they'll be able to go back. The valley is there. There is residential housing through there, but it is sparsely populated. Uh, we're talking about yeah, a semi-rural valley that has the Waimea Dam actually at the head of it. If people uh, know that, and yeah, there's a big river that runs through it. Lots of popular swimming holes, which I understand had to be evacuated yesterday, and the uh, the choppers have been using to fill their monsoon buckets to fight this fire. How far out of Nelson are we talking here? We're talking about half an hour if there's no traffic. Fair enough. Okay, so reasonably, you know, reasonably close to a, a residential area in a sense, what well, is residential areas, but close to a to a city. Um, in terms of the approach now, this, the strategy now, uh, they'll be throwing everything at it to contain this fire. Yes, that's the plan. So at first light, light. Sorry, I understand around six thirty a.m. there were helicopters back in the air. Um, I can see a handful of those working from where I'm standing and it also looks like there's some that might be scouting out just exactly the perimeter of the fire and what's going on, trying to get a good grasp on that again this morning. So uh, yeah, there'll be specialist forestry crews and firefighting crews. I think they'll be using some thermal imaging equipment to try and identify hotspots and then they'll be in there to tackle those with you know, hand tools and hoses to try and get it under control. Samantha, what's the conditions been like over the last week or so? Very dry, very hot I imagine. There were three fires, weren't there in this instance, but one that in the plantation in which was unable to be obviously stopped. So must be a real worry, the conditions. Yes, the conditions are a worry. It has been very hot and dry. We've had a little bit of brief respite with some cooler weather uh, in the last week, but the last days have been have been hot, dry, you know, worrisome in terms of fire conditions. Where I am at the moment, slightly further down the valley, it's not very windy. I understand when the fire broke out yesterday it was sort of windy and, you know, that was concerning and then it dropped off a bit. So it really remains to be seen today just... Um, yeah, how conditions are going to change and, and, and what that fire does. Thank you, Samantha G. That is uh, our reporter in uh, heading to the Lee Valley uh, uh, where that fire is uh, still burning. Yeah, hopefully weather conditions will be a little bit more favourable today. We'll update you uh, throughout the morning and throughout the day on the status of that. New World and Pack and Save supermarkets across the North Island will be testing facial recognition software from today. The Privacy Commissioner has some reservations about that. Foodstuff's North Island's General Counsel Julian Benefield joins us now for more on this. Kia ora, good morning Julian. Tell me why is this facial recognition software needed? Morena, Ingrid, um, we are trialling facial recognition in a relatively small number of stores as part of our commitment to keep teams and customers safe. We've seen a massive increase in retail crime in our stores recently with a 34% increase last quarter. Um, we've seen our store team members being stabbed, punched, kicked, bitten and spat at. And we've found that repeat offenders are responsible for around a third of all incidents. Uh, we take store and, and team and, and, and customer safety incredibly seriously, and we think we need to do more to keep our people safe. 
we think facial recognition is going to help store teams identify previous offenders to help them coming back into store and causing more harm, and that's why we're going to trial it. Okay. No doubting there are some um, terrible circumstances going on there for your staff and in terms of theft as well, but what evidence do you have that these cameras, this technology, will stop that kind of thing from happening? We think it will be effective in terms of uh, you know, identifying and uh, those repeat offenders before they come into store. But ultimately, this is a trial. Uh, we have worked and, and uh, consulted with the Office of the Privacy Commissioner about the trial and made a number of changes to enhance it from a privacy perspective. And we have, uh, on their advice, appointed an independent evaluator to ensure that the trial respects customer privacy. Uh, and we welcome the oversight of the Privacy Commissioner through this trial. Um, but it is ultimately a trial. We've made no decisions to roll it out on a broader basis. It's just a trial and, and up to 25 stores at this point. OK, so how exactly does it work? Uh, for a start, will will it be clearly signposted that you are entering a supermarket with this technology in operation? Absolutely. It will be clearly signposted in every store that will be trialling facial recognition technology. Uh, we want to be very transparent to all our customers and New Zealanders about what we're doing. Uh, it's only in the North Islands, um, but we've got lots of information on our website and being very proactive around what we are doing in terms of the trial. OK, so it takes your picture. Then what happens? So ultimately, when you come into store, it will, the facial recognition system will uh, look at a person's face and see whether it matches against uh, a database that we have in store of previous offenders. If you're an honest customer coming in who is not a previous offender, that will be immediately deleted. So those uh, honest customers have nothing to be concerned about. It will only be a match uh, if it is a previous offender. Okay. Uh, if, if you are matched, then what happens? Firstly, in terms of our engagement with the Office of the Privacy Commissioner and our independent evaluator, we have a high threshold in terms of uh, the, the, the matches that we triggered within, within the system. And then most importantly, there is a human element. So we have two highly trained store team members who will need to check that it is in fact the previous offender and that it matches the CCTV image. So there is a human element to it which overlays that process. And that, that really is just another tool to help store team members uh, go and uh, approach repeat offenders to help prevent them from doing more harm, which is why we're doing this. We care deeply about the safety of our people. And this is all about uh, you know us meeting our moral and legal obligations to keep our store team members and customers okay. safe. So, so the, that person would be, if you're satisfied it's the right person, they'll be escorted from the premises, trespassed? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. In, in, in many cases, the offender will already be trespassed. But what, what is really difficult for our team members, uh, especially in busy stores, is it can be really uh, difficult to remember all of the people who have been trespassed. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's different shifts, and it can be incredibly hard to remember that. So it's sure, another tool sure. to help them do that. Sorry to interrupt, but another, another one of the uh, the issues raised here is the accuracy with uh, this technology historically not being particularly accurate dealing with darker skins, and particularly women of darker skin. Um you know, what have you done to mitigate that? Because it could be potentially very embarrassing um, and, well, humiliating for, for someone who was incorrectly identified. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the trial, as I say, it is a trial at a small number, a relatively small number of North Island stores. It is not across all of our stores. 
And as I've said, we've engaged with an independent evaluator and the Office of the Privacy Commissioner and made a number of changes to ensure we are respecting the customer's privacy. Um, a really important element to the accuracy point is that there is, uh, there is a, a threshold set in terms of accuracy before a repeat offender is matched in the system. And then most importantly, there is a human element where two highly trained staff members uh, must, check this, must check that it is in fact the person, which what mirrors what already happens in, in, in most of our stores already today in terms of dealing with violent and repeat offenders. Are you expecting any pushback on this from customers? We've, we're getting feedback in already. People, well, they don't like their photos or any personal data, biometric data being collected by a supermarket? Of course, we're an incredibly customer-driven organisation and we highly value all of our customer feedback. Um, so we will take that on board as we work through this trial and, and, and see how the system works. And as I said, we welcome also the Office of the Privacy Commissioner's close eyes on the trial and we will work very constructively with them. What I would say is that I think a number of customers will also support what we do and support that we are, you know, that everyone deserves to come into store every day, whether you're a team member and customer and feel safe. And so I think a number of customers will support that we're taking this approach. Uh, we are respecting customers' privacy, but also doing more to keep our team members and customers safe. And, and you undertake that any data collected would only be used purely for this purpose. It won't be stored or used to sell people things or, or build profiles on people. That is absolutely right, that the data will only be used for retail security and specifically um, helping us to better identify repeat offenders. It will be not used for any other purpose. And as I've said, if you're an honest customer and coming to the store, it will be immediately deleted. And we welcome the oversight of the Office of the Privacy Commissioner and our independent evaluator throughout the trial to hold us to account. Thank you for that. That was Foodstuffs North Island's General Counsel Julian Bennyfield there. Well, some school students are finding the government's ban on mobile phones a bit of a shock. Schools have been opened for just a couple of days. Many, though, have already revised their rules to meet the new regulation, which doesn't actually come into force until the start of Term 2. And from that date, schools must ensure students do not use or access a phone, including during lunchtime and breaks, although there are a few exceptions. Our education correspondent, John Gerritsen, has been asking students and teachers how it's all Wellington teenager Nina says the phone ban didn't go down well when her school announced students have to keep their phones switched off and in their bags all day. I think most people are pretty disappointed. Like when they announce in assembly, you can kind of feel the energy just going off. Kids are going to start using their computers as they would as their phones. You can access a lot of like Snapchat, everything. There's a whole Snapchat web that's being used. I think it's a bit pointless. Wellington East Girls College student Simha Gurme is more positive. She says she's addicted to her phone, but she can see benefits in the new rule. When we first got the email, I like ran to my parents. I was like, what am I going to do? I can't do this. But um, yeah, I do think that I'm not fully, fully used to it. Like I still sometimes catch myself walking into school with it in my pocket. But I think with time, it's actually fine. Fellow student Sarah Lena Seumanu Fangai says she initially thought the ban was a bit extreme. Usually, the first thing I do when I get to school is text my friends and be like, Oh, where are you? What time are you coming? So now it's been kind of hard. We've been like trying to memorise each other's timetables, walking around the whole school trying to look for each other. But yeah, I think as time goes on and like by next term, everyone will get used to it and all the upset students will like calm down. The school's principal, Gail Ashworth, says it already had a no phone policy but it was an expectation rather than the reality. We've only had sort of 
two days where we've had the whole school back and uh, the numbers of, of cell phones that we've had surrendered to staff have been quite low. Students seem to be okay with it. My take on wandering around the school is there's a lot more face-to-face -face engagement between the students. Nearby, Wellington High School is still figuring out how it will implement the government's policy and students are considering what it will mean. I think it's fine. Sometimes other people are on their phone and obviously they're distracted, but it can also distract you. Um, yeah, I think it's good as long as it's just in class time because at break time I want to play games. It would be okay at morning tea and lunch because that means people would do more talking and playing games because a lot of people already do it, but a lot of people also spend time on their phones instead of hanging out with their friends. The school's principal, Dominic Killalee, says the ban won't stop young people misusing social media in their spare time and it could make it trickier to use phones for learning. I've had a number of teachers come to me and talk about the particular applications that they use uh, with mobile technology that are really useful. The policy isn't saying that you can't do that. However, it is just a little more difficult when that teacher has to say, OK, make sure you all bring your phones in tomorrow or by the very strict reading of that policy. He says the school is likely to settle on a policy that allows students to keep their phones in their bags but switched off. That report from our education correspondent, John Gerritsen. Do let us know, a feedback text 2101. Your experience, your views on this, have your kids come home complaining or are they enjoying the change? And we'll be speaking to a principal about how it's all going down in the, uh, on the school ground as well a little later in the programme. Well, the government is following through on its plan to cut funding for cultural reports used in sentencing. The reports give judges background information about a defendant's circumstances and can lead to reduced sentences. The government says the reports are costing taxpayers millions of dollars and have turned into a money-making exercise for professionals. Joining us now is Justice Minister Paul Goldsmith. Kia ora, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, How do you know that it is costing the taxpayers money? Is there any evidence or any research done to see whether, in fact, it might be saving money because it's keeping people out of prison perhaps for longer and, and preventing reoffending? Uh, well, well, I mean, these uh, the, the Section 27, which enable people to um, have uh, people who know them and their family talk about their background, had been around since the early 2000s. Uh, and in 2017, there were uh, a grand total of um, 14 of the, those reports costing $40,000. Uh, and then it just was turbocharged over the last six years. So we now have 2,500 of those reports in the last year costing $7.5 million dollars. And I have no doubt if I hadn't been jumping up and down about this last year, that would have kept on going towards $10 million. And But so, that doesn't answer the question, uh, though. Might it be, is it possible that some of those, I'm not saying all of them, some of them were actually leading to better outcomes, better information before judges, so people didn't need to go to prison necessarily, maybe it was home detention, maybe not, but that, that, that actually led to less offending, maybe they didn't reoffend, so there was a positive outcome because they weren't in prisons longer. No, no, that, well, no, there hasn't been any evidence of, of people being less likely to reoffend uh, because uh, somebody wrote a cultural report uh, for them costing the taxpayer money. Uh, what, and, and look, I mean, it's linked in with uh, the, 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 the drive from all of this and some of the adverts and some of the companies that have been doing this have been promising discounts, you know, and, you, know you might get 20% off. Uh, and we're obviously widely concerned about that as well. We're significantly concerned about... OK, big, but, but my uh, question uh, is, would you it, would it have warranted at least an investigation before you scrap the, or cut the funding back, an investigation to see to, to, to see whether there'd been some benefits that might be worth? So it's, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater situation here. 
Yeah, well, it's not really because uh, people are still able to have what was originally a tender with people coming into the court saying, giving an oral report saying, yes, now this is this person's background, but what we're doing is just uh, freeing up this money because, you know, we, we, the, the whole legal aid budget is tight. Uh, we don't want, we want to be spending that wisely. Uh, and we also want to ensure uh, that people. Um, uh, serve uh, the sentences that they should in terms of having real consequences uh, for crime. And mm. that's also linked in with the other change we outlined yesterday, which is scrapping the, the previous goal of reducing the prison population by 30%, irrespective of what's happening on in the ground in the community in terms of uh, violent crime. And so, you know, we're focused on actually reducing okay. uh, the, the, the violent crime, youth crime, and speeding up the courts. Mm. So that's what we're focused on in justice. And not, not, the, not, issue uh, here, the issue here is that this will potentially discriminate against those with lesser means, uh, disadvantaged groups, Māori in particular, uh, because they will not have necessarily, uh, perhaps in some circumstances, they don't have the ability to speak in court or have people speak for them or to articulate potential uh, disadvantages they have faced or are facing. Well, we don't accept that. Uh, I mean, the, the, the legal aid system continues for the defence of people who are uh, before the court. Uh, that, that's always as it has been. This is just one element around um, uh, these uh, Section 27 reports, which has just become a, a cottage industry and a boondoggle. People still have the opportunity to make their case, of course, and they have the ability to bring uh, well, do you, yeah, let me put it this way. Do you believe that there is any cultural disadvantage that some groups face because of... Uh, barriers with in terms of uh, the legal system that there is a cultural disadvantage for Maori because of the system. Some will argue, and therefore this would disadvantage them because they aren't getting the information in front of the judges, whereas other groups yeah. might because they're more familiar with the legal system. Well, I mean, the legislation makes it clear that people should be able to put those uh, things forward. Uh, obviously, there's a, a tension between understanding one's background, and uh, but there's a further step to turning that into an excuse for crime, and that can never be an excuse an excuse for crime. Uh, in terms of the, the wider impact on Maori, of course, uh, Maori are more likely to be the victims of crime. So, uh, you know, this is a policy that is very much focused on ensuring that. Um, that were focused on the needs of the victims. And there was a real sense in the past six years that the, the previous government was more concerned about the needs of the perpetrators of crime uh, than they were about the needs of the, the victims of crime. And so our focus is very much on uh, doing everything we possibly can to reduce the amount of crime. And, and part of that is sending a very clear signal that there will be real consequences for crime. And, uh, you know, we were campaigning up and down the country last year. There were two issues that people raised, cost of living and law and order. And can you, okay, but can you guarantee that this is going to mean that judges have all the, the best information in front of them? I mean, that's the issue here, really, isn't it? What is wrong with ensuring that in every case possible, as a society, we make funds available so that the best information can be put in front of the judge, they make the decision based on that evidence as to whether or not how long the sentence is. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, no, we don't live in a perfect world. We have constrained resources. I mean, there are you know, thousands of people who are burgled, uh, who, who the police never come because you know it doesn't reach a threshold, and so that uh, they don't get access to the justice that they need. And so we we do the best we can with the resources that we've got, and we don't think spending seven and a half million dollars uh, producing reports uh, like this uh, is a good use of the money that we need to be spending. On the so it's prim- primarily cost. Was there not a halfway measure here where you could, as you say, there have 
have been I've certainly read people within the legal profession raising sharing your concerns about this the, this particular well, practice the, the was there not a way of doing it where you didn't have to throw it all out where you could streamline it maybe improve it ensure that they were done being done properly and properly priced and all those sort of things well, yeah, you could have set up a big bureaucratic kind of licensing regime, but we weren't interested in doing that. I mean, yes, in the sense that, well, I mean, we could have scrapped this Section 27 entirely, uh, and we didn't choose to do that. Uh, so what we've done is you know, people can uh, do what was originally intended, uh, make an oral statement. You can do a written report, but we're just not going to be funding it uh, through the legal aid system. And, and it, you know, it's a part of – it's the first step uh, that we've announced as, as part of a rolling uh, mall of uh, justice uh, policies we'll be uh, working our way through over the next few weeks in order to restore for law and order and get people feeling comfortable and safe in their communities again. All right. Thank you very much for your time, Justice Minister Paul Goldsmith. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories.